They are our 11 warriors. No, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. This is Griffin Strome back from a brief hiatus. I was on vacation last week, so Dan and Garrick handled everything on the podcast. I was actually in New Orleans on a little vacation, so did plenty of uh, eating, sightseeing, you know, walking around the city uh, down in the Big Easy, everything like that. Uh, needed a little bit of a recovery, uh, certainly from the the humidity, the food, and maybe even a little bit of drinking. So. Um, I didn't have any beignets. That was my one big regret from uh, the trip. But um, I did have some a few years ago for the Ohio State Clemson Sugar Bowl. So not like I haven't experienced that in the past. But now Dan Hope is on vacation himself. So the uh, the dulcet tones of Dan Hope will not be here to soothe our listeners' ears this week. However, we do have um, a, a special co-host today for this latest edition of Real Pod Wednesdays. Our very own Skull Session writer extraordinaire and uh, general Eleven Warriors producer, I believe, Chase, if that is your official title, Chase Brown is making his Real Pod Wednesdays debut. So, Chase, welcome to the Thank show. Thank you. Um, happy to be on Real Pod Wednesdays for the first time. I know usually you and Dan hold this down. Griffin, um, while you were gone, I know Garrick filled in for you, and I didn't get a chance to listen to that one, but I'm imagining that the as you used for Dan, the the smooth tones of Garrett Koch, um were definitely definitely oh, yeah. delivered well to everyone's inboxes and in different places that you listen to this podcast. So hopefully you uh, feel the same way about me, and that I don't screw up too much during the course of this show. Oh no, it'll go. It'll be smooth sailing today on Real Pause Wednesdays as the the two youngest members of the beat staff take over. So uh, the the youngsters ha- have it uh, have it going on today here at RPW. Uh, but Chase, let's get right into it. I mean, uh, Monday was my first day back from vacation. And I, I feel like uh, more more news than, than I was really expecting on that first day. Uh, we got, you know, some some new some official game times for the 2023 football season for Ohio State right off the bat. And, you know, one of those being a uh, really both of them being a particularly notable games. Um, the, the the season, I guess, starting to feel a little more tangible still, you know, a ways away. But we now do know two official kickoff times and networks for two of Ohio State's games in 2023. Uh, the, the first announcement was that Ohio State and Michigan State, a November 11th game at the shoe, um, will take place at 730 on NBC. So that's kind of notable because obviously the Big Ten uh, media rights deal, the TV deal they struck, the extremely lucrative uh, deal that, that Kevin Warren uh, brokered and everything like that means that you know a, a network like NBC, we're not we're not used to NBC having a, you know an Ohio State game, so uh, that's kind of interesting. Also, Chase, how about having a night game at the Shoe in, uh, in mid November? That that one might be a little bit chilly. Yeah, Garrick was um, making jokes on Twitter yesterday about how he's going to have to break out his ski-doo for that game. You, know, you never know. They, the Big Ten had that rule a couple of years ago that there was going to be no night games in November across all of the member schools. Because, you know, you have Wisconsin, you have Minnesota. Um, those schools, they're in the tundra when compared to Columbus. So a night game in November, it may be different there than it is in Columbus. But you never know with, with weather in central Ohio. It can be 
you know, 75 degrees and sunny one day and it can be snowing and 30 degrees the next. Um, so we have to, I guess, temper our expectations for what that may look like for a, a mid-November clash between Ohio State and Michigan State. But um, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I actually wasn't aware that these media deals were going to be coming so soon. I kind of pictured it as something that was going to come down the road, but you know, NBC gets the rights to this game, which is just going to be interesting because it really NBC was just the exclusive partner of Notre Dame for a while. Um, so we really don't have any familiarity with NBC covering these games, who the commentators will be, who the sideline reporters will be, and what their what their coverage will exactly look like. But it should be a good game. Um, Michigan State should round out to be a decent team in the Big Ten at least. Um, and Ohio State, as everyone here on the podcast that listens to the podcast knows, is going to be one of the top teams in the country next year as they are every year. So should be a fun primetime game later in the season as hopefully we get to see two competitive teams take take each other on. Yeah, I believe Ohio State now, I think, seven straight wins against Michigan State, unless I'm uh, misremembering that. I think every year since... 2015 was the last time Michigan State got a win over Ohio State. The other announcement, Chase, uh, pertaining to the 119th edition of the game, Ohio State-Michigan, no surprises in terms of that announcement. It's going to be in the usual noon slot on Fox on November 25th in Ann Arbor. Of course, Michigan going for the uh, you know three-peat of sorts against the Buckeyes, which they haven't done since 95, 96, and 97. Obviously, this past year was the first time uh, Michigan had won back-to-back games against Ohio State since, I think, uh, the year 2000. Uh, so that is obviously going to be a hotly contested one, of course. Uh, and Chase, I know you put up a poll on the 11 Warriors site asking if fans like the the you know the perennial noon kickoff for Ohio State-Michigan, which you know a few years ago when I was working for the, the Lantern in Ohio State, we, we actually did a a story on like the the noon kickoff and it, it hasn't always been at at noon as a matter of fact it's not like every single year throughout history that's been the case uh but chase just because i, I know you put that poll up do you feel strongly about the, the the kickoff time for that one yes it's definitely going to be um or it's always been i guess something that fans have grown accustomed to or familiar with the noon kickoff in Ohio State games. It's it's sort of become synonymous. But as you said, it's not something that has to be the case every single season. Um, the most recent instance of a game not at noon for Ohio State and Michigan was 2006, which is one of the most historic or most well-remembered, well-renowned meetings between Ohio State and Michigan all time. Uh, but beyond that, I believe I saw yesterday that between 1980 and today, there's only been uh, a handful of instances where Ohio State and Michigan haven't played at noon. It's what I've always known. I'm sure it's what you've always known. I wouldn't be against the the idea of this game moving to a 3.30 slot later down the road in future seasons. I know CBS typically has that window, that 3.30 game that now this new, new media rights agreement comes into play. Maybe they get on national television in that time slot. Um but I think, you know, this, a couple of things, Griffin, that I was thinking about with this um, this game being at noon on Fox, um, in regards to, I guess, the media agreement overall, it, it kind of tells us, right, that Fox has the first pick amongst these media uh, members, these media uh, news organizations, I guess, in, in this agreement. 
Um, Michigan, Ohio State is going to be the number one game that any of these networks want. And so Fox gets it. It's going to be in that big noon window. You're going to have Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt calling the game. You'll probably have both, assuming that both teams meet undefeated again. Uh, college game day will be there. Big noon kickoff will be there. Everyone's going to want to be there for the big game on campus. Um, so that was an interesting part of it as well, was seeing that Fox gets the first rights to this game. Um, and as Ohio State then plays Michigan State on NBC, I'm kind of curious where Ohio State and Penn State may end up. because That's going to be a big marketable game, as well as Ohio State and Wisconsin. Luke Fickle's first season up in Madison. How is he going to perform against Ohio State? Um, what network will that game be on? So, yeah, the beginning of a lot of these announcements, I'm sure, between many different networks. So Ohio State fans are going to have to be up to date with where these games are going to be televised because there's certainly going to be different places week to week. Um, it's not just going to be you know noon on Fox as it was for many different games this past season and maybe sprinkle in a few afternoon uh, ESPN games here and there. And Chase, some news that's you know less pressing for Ohio State's 2023 season, but still maybe interesting, maybe you know possibly rub some fans the wrong way. Uh, former Ohio State commit Dylan Rayola, the number one player in the 2024 class, a five-star prospect. Uh, he obviously decommitted from Ohio State in December, and um, on just on Monday, Rayola committed to Georgia. Um, which you know wasn't a big surprise, but you know there had been some rumblings that he might end up at Nebraska. You know, uh, initially after decommitting from Ohio State, and uh, you know that that certainly got a lot of traction and, and, and engagement on the site uh, when we wrote an article up about that chase. And uh, you know that certainly will make a, a possible future CFP matchup between those two teams all the more interesting uh, if it wasn't already going to be based on the outcome of this past year's semifinal matchup. Yeah, a lot of people um, seem to have their opinions about Rayola ending up at Georgia. Um, it really will be uh, Georgia's – I guess, they land these top recruits a lot um, at different positions, but quarterback has never really been a position of strength for them. I mean, Stetson Bennett was a good quarterback, and they have guys like Carson Beck now competing for a job, future five-stars lining up, but never really a guy like Rayola who's a number one overall recruit. Um, so that's going to draw attention regardless of um, just regardless of whether he has Ohio State ties or not. The fact of the matter is, though, that Rayola committed to Ohio State, was committed for a while, um, and then decommitted seemingly out of the blue. I mean, there was some rumblings that they may that they may happen, but in regards to him now ending up at Georgia, it's just you know another instance where maybe Ohio State um, just. They tried to to meet his maybe demands, meet the, the sort of NIL requirements that it may take to land a guy like Rayola. Um, but I feel like they're comfortable now having a guy like Aaron Nolan come into that class. Um, I feel like they have a quarterback that they like in him, a guy that fits the culture. Um, so you start to see stuff with Rayola end up maybe going to Nebraska, maybe going to Georgia. He finally then lands that commitment there to play for Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs. Um, so there's some Ohio State fans, I guess, a little bit on both sides. Like, yeah, you, you definitely want the number one overall recruit, and you want a guy like that to bolster your classes. But you also maybe don't want somebody that isn't fitting your culture or that maybe seems to have a little bit of commitment issues. Um, just changed high schools quite a bit. Um, has committed to Ohio State, 
committed, lands at Georgia. We don't even know where this guy is going to end up in college. He still has some time. Uh, we just don't know. So I think that there's definitely <laughs> been lots of conversation around him and you know, Georgia strengthening his class, uh, and Rayola finding his landing spot. But you know, maybe it's not all set in stone. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, another one of those recruiting battles that you know, that was a big topic of conversation uh, at the Peach Bowl this past year because of the whole, you know, obviously Justin Fields transferred from Georgia, ended up having a lot of success at Ohio State. Uh, C.J. Stroud was, you know, Georgia was one of the, the the teams he was considering as well before coming to Ohio State. So another chapter in that, that ongoing uh, series. But Chase, another thing that happened uh, last week that I know Dan and Garrick didn't have a chance to get into on the podcast uh, you know, a lot of times we do we record these podcasts on Tuesdays, and like we always like to mention, uh, oftentimes some news happens right as we're recording yeah. the podcast or right after. We can't end up uh, getting to that before the podcast comes to you guys on Wednesdays. Um, one such uh, occurrence was the commitment of Tywone Malone, the Ole Miss defensive tackle, uh, who now joins Ohio State's 2023 roster, the eighth transfer edition, a portal edition. Uh, for Ryan Day and company this offseason, which is obviously a high number. We'll get into you know some some more stuff with the entire kind of transfer portal class Ohio State's brought in uh, in just a minute here. But first, just wanted to talk specifically about Malone. He's a guy we mentioned several times on the podcast uh, pre- in previous weeks. Um, he he had visited Ohio State and you know also received a lot of interest from uh, Miami, Florida, but ends up coming to Ohio State. He was a four star recruit out of New Jersey in the 2021 class the number 63 overall prospect and number 11 defensive lineman at the time. Uh, And even out of high school, at one point, Ohio State looked like the front runner to land him. Uh, But ultimately, he chose Ole Miss over Ohio State back then. Uh, He didn't play at Ole Miss, you know, a a whole lot back then. Um, Or, I mean, in the last two seasons, I should say. He only uh, registered 13 tackles, two sacks, two pass deflections, uh, in the past two seasons, he also played baseball at Ole Miss, which is pretty interesting. That was kind of a factor in his uh, initial high school recruitment. Uh, he will not be playing baseball, however, at Ohio State. Um, this is a, a six foot four, three hundred pound tackle, and he joins a group that you know I wrote an article about that um, for for Tuesday, which was just talking about how you know Ohio State's defensive tackle rotation was kind of top heavy coming into the offseason there wasn't like a lot of questions or concerns about it necessarily because you have guys like Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton all coming back uh, but we know how much Larry Johnson likes to rotate players on that defensive line and so the question is you know who's going to be some of those rotational depth pieces behind those top 3 guys this season um, obviously the likes of you know Hero Canoe had a really good spring game performance Jaden McKenzie even had some um, some 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 good moments this spring, but now a guy like Malone really kind of solidifies the depth um, at defensive tackle. A guy that you know has a lot of you know his, his high school recruiting credentials are definitely impressive, um, and, and he'll have you know several years to to develop um, into an even better uh, player and, and, and prospect for Ohio State over the next uh, several years. Um, also worth mentioning that Malone is the second transfer addition fr- from Ole Miss for Ohio State this offseason. Obviously, uh, cornerback Davison Igbenosin was the first from Ole Miss to come to Ohio State. So, so two guys from that program joining the Buckeye roster this offseason. And also, I thought this was interesting that Malone is the first scholarship transfer that Larry Johnson's 
ever brought into Ohio State. So, uh, you know, obviously the the whole transfer portal landscape and stuff is, and, and obviously NIL as well has, you know, changed college football and recruiting so much in just the past few years. Obviously, Larry Johnson's a longtime veteran of the game, but, you know, this kind of shows that you know, he's, he's able to adapt with the times as well, Chase. Yeah, it's, I think Ohio State, Definitely from a top-down standpoint, from Ryan Day all the way to his position coaches, his assistants, had a more focused, just I guess a a more focused effort, a more concerted effort on attacking the transfer portal this offseason and getting players that they know are talented and can push for starting spots, um, can push for, if not being starters, spots in the two deep and that may have not been the thing that Ohio State was most comfortable with in years past in the opening years of free transfer and in the transfer portal um, you even saw last year with an example like Eli Ricks the cornerback from LSU Ohio State passing on a guy like that because they wanted to you know maintain harmony maintain peace in the cornerback room but then eventually you have three guys transfer out you know, Legend Cavazos, Ryan Turner, guys like that, they just transferred out anyway. Didn't really matter. They could have gotten a guy like Eli Ricks, but they passed up on him. Uh, but this offseason, they've definitely made a more concerted effort to to get the top transfers that are sitting in the portal at positions of need. And I know we'll talk about more of these guys later, but in the instance of Malone, this is a position as defensive tackle um, in a similar way to maybe the running back position last year. Um that maybe one or two injuries as maybe Mike Hall suffered last year. And, you know, Tyleek Williams doesn't suffer from consistent injuries, but maybe there's been questions about his conditioning, about whether or not he can be a guy that plays consistent snaps game to game. So all of a sudden you're working to guys in the 2D. Uh, You're working to, as you mentioned, a Ty Hamilton, a Hero Canoe, a Jaden McKenzie, maybe – uh, Malone fits into that second tier as guys that will push these starters, guys the more established, like Hall, like Williams, like Hamilton, to push those starters to to really give them the energy and the motivation that they need to continue improving. And if they don't, then he's right there. Then he can slide in, having experience in the SEC. Um, he's not going to get pushed around, as you said, as a 6'4", 300-pound tackle. Um, I think Ohio State definitely has a guy here that has potential. Um, and a guy that can definitely wreak some havoc in the posing backfields whenever he's given the opportunity. Yeah, and I and if, I know I was looking at the snap counts for for last season when I was writing that that piece about the kind of depth for the defensive tackles. I think it was like five guys at, at tackle all played at least like 187 snaps, and maybe four guys all played at least 250 or more than that. And uh, so yeah, you have the three top guys, but like you said, if somebody goes down. Then you know that's another guy that has to step up, and and even if, if all three of those top guys stay healthy the entire time, there's still uh, a couple of of decently large roles that have to be replaced in terms of guys to just to to spell those guys at the, at the top of the depth chart. Um, and, and also, I think in terms of Ohio State's just transfer portal kind of strategy and things like that, you've seen with uh you know in the past it's it's been you know maybe bringing guys in for one year, plug them in right into a, a starting role. Um, you know if if you talk about some of the guys that that we've seen Ohio State bring in, but this year there's there's several guys that are going to be you know more long term projects, and I think that's that's something that Ohio State maybe feels more comfortable with too is uh, not not just bringing in guys that are guaranteed a starting role for one season. It's like 
bring in guys with two, three years of, of eligibility left. Um, and, and so that these are guys that can still be developed at Ohio State and, you know, earn their keep rather than just coming in right away and being, you know, guaranteed, guaranteed a role. And I certainly think Malone kind of fits into that mold uh, because he hasn't necessarily, you know, lived up to the, 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 the high standards of his, his recruiting profile sure. yet in terms of his college career. But he's going to have, I think, three, three more years of eligibility at Ohio State. So he's a guy that can grow into that. Uh, moving forward, yeah. but yeah, just wanted to to touch on. Do you think Griffin? Go ahead, Chase. It sort of felt like Ohio State was maybe in a position where they didn't want to admit that they missed on some of their younger, talented recruits. Um, getting transfers that are older, you can kind of go with the excuse that because they're older, they have more experience, and because they they have that experience, you can just plug and play. Um, you can just put them ahead of somebody that's younger on the depth chart. I mean, we have so many players at Ohio State that we see as in the media. We talk to them so frequently, um, whether it's you know in spring ball, whether it's in fall camp. I mean, there's like eight to ten guys at, at any position room that have talent. You know that they have talent. Ohio State recruited them because they were talented, but maybe they just don't fit in Ohio State's system. They just haven't really reached their full potential at Ohio State for whatever reason. And I kind of just feel like Ohio State wasn't attacking transfers uh, as early and often as some of the other schools because they were a little bit afraid to admit that maybe some of those guys just, for whatever reason, weren't working out. And it seems like this year they've kind of gotten over that and they've kind of said, okay, if, if we don't have enough depth at defensive tackle, we can't wait around, wait around on some of these younger guys to develop. We can't wait around to see if they're eventually going to become what they were supposed to be or what we thought they could be out of recruiting. So we're just going to find a guy that maybe is similar talent, maybe is a little bit better, and hope that then when he comes into the program that he can reach his potential. That seems what it's kind of been what I've seen from maybe getting Igbenison or getting Malone, these guys from SEC schools, um, to come into the program and just be game ready to really push and challenge the guys who have already been in the program, knowing that there is no comfortable path toward a spot in the starting lineup. Yeah. I certainly think in, in today's day and age, like if you, you can, you can bolster a, a class by, you know, if you, if you do miss on some guys or, or you, maybe you don't, you don't take certain guys or, or, or you don't take as many guys, maybe uh, depending on the year in a, in a high school class, because uh, you know, you know, you're going to go into the transfer portal. I mean, it's the same, same thing in, in college basketball as well, just kind of looking at you know Ohio State situation there. When you're bringing in several guys from the transfer portal every year, and maybe you want to get older too, that's another another part of it. And you can certainly do that in the transfer portal. Um, obviously, Ohio State uh, football wise has has done that this offseason more than ever before because previously Ohio State had only added as many as three transfer portal guys under Ryan Day uh, in in terms of scholarship players. Um, and in, in any offseason this year. Uh, almost three times as many with eight of those guys. Um, and, and just to recap, so everybody knows and um, who those guys are, um, at quarterback, you've got Tristan Gebbia out of Oregon State. Um, at at offensive, uh, offensive line slash you know, offensive tackle, Josh Simmons from San Diego State. That was another recent one. Victor Cutler out of Louisiana Monroe, who's been playing center for Ohio State. Um, he, he was here, obviously, for the entire spring. Uh, on, on the defensive line, Malone, we just talked about. Uh, Igbenosin, we mentioned as well, at cornerback, and another that pair of old Miss guys there. Uh, another recent one, 
Uh, Lorenzo Styles, obviously the brother of Sonny Styles, who's going to play cornerback after transferring from Notre Dame, played wide receiver for the Fighting Irish. Um, Syracuse transfer safety Jihad Carter, who was here for the spring before you know suffer, suffering an injury that you know not expected to be long term, and then you've got. Arizona State transfer long snapper John Furlman and Chase. I thought it would be kind of a fun exercise here to kind of look at the entire transfer portal class because it is so big, right? And uh, kind of break down who we think, you know, in terms of impact, how we would kind of rank these guys in terms of what they might do for Ohio State in 2023, uh, given just how how big this class is um, and the fact that you know this is. Malone was ex- is expected to be the final, you know, transfer portal addition for Ohio State. So, um, Chase, I will, I'll kind of, I know I've got a little bit of a list here. Um, I don't know if you have a, a dissenting list or <laughs> if you have dissenting opinions or anything like that. Thoughts on any of the placements? Um, you can definitely uh, feel free to push back or anything like that. But um, I will start out here by saying, uh, certainly, in terms of what I saw this spring. Because there's obviously a, a couple guys here. If you talk about the the likes of Simmons and Malone and, and guys like that, that are still you know have yet to actually join the program that are going to be coming in uh, this summer. So we haven't actually had a chance to really dive into what they can do, you know, at practice or in a, a scrimmage like setting or a spring game like setting, anything like that. So uh, in terms of what I've seen so far, and I know a lot of fans were excited about this guy in terms of what they you know saw heard about him over the spring Davison Igbenosin from Old Miss we've already talked about him a little bit but he's a guy that you know when he when he initially transferred he only played one season at Old Miss so this is a guy that you know you figured this guy could you know he doesn't have to necessarily come in and start right away he could spend some time in the program and, and develop but when we saw him this spring uh, he immediately caught i think everybody's eyes because first of all he's he's 62 He's just a, a freakish frame, just a wiry, long frame, that, that kind of frame that you're looking for in a guy that's going to break up passes, get his hands on the ball. And we saw him do that a, a whole lot because you know I know I had several clips on Twitter of, of him making big plays. He had an interception in the spring as well um, against Kyle McCord at quarterback. Uh, I, he was really impressive to me. I think he could be a starter at cornerback this season, although – he wasn't exactly thrust into like a top two role at cornerback because obviously Denzel Burke is kind of holding down that that top corner spot still that he earned, you know, as a, a true freshman at Ohio State a couple of years ago. And then Jordan Hancock was was handling, you know, a lot of the the you know starting duties alongside Burke at cornerback. Um, he's a guy that, you know, obviously dealt with injuries for for much of last season. But, you know, I think Igbenosin's really going to you know, maybe be on his heels for for a starting job by the time, you know, the season starts, or at least by the by the end of the season. And I think, you know, we've seen injury issues from from multiple high state cornerbacks uh, in the past. I mean, obviously, I, j- I just said, you know, Hancock with his stuff last year. Burks had his things as well uh, the past couple seasons. So um, I would be I would be surprised if we don't see Igbenosin start a game this this season, even if those other guys are playing well, just because of you know, the, the physicality of the game in general. Yeah, somebody asked me yesterday, they said, will Davison Igbenosin be a household name early in 2023? And I said, yes, absolutely. And given what we saw in the spring, as you mentioned, he is a player that's long. He's a player that's tough at the point of contact. 
Um, how many times last spring did we see, or this spring, did we see that Igbenosan got his hands on balls, like batting them away, intercepting them, making the job so much more difficult for Kyle McCord, for Devin Brown, Tristan Jebbia as they work through the offense, and against some of the most talented receivers in the nation. I know that Emeka Ibuka and Julian Fleming were out this spring, um, as was Xavier Johnson for a point. But going up against Ohio State's receivers, regardless of whether those players were involved, is still one of the best position rooms in college football. And Igbenosan was impressing everyone at the Woody this spring with his performance against those wide receivers and those quarterbacks. Um, So I think whether or not Jordan Hancock is healthy, maybe Hancock starts the season as the second cornerback because that's where he belonged last season. I do think eventually, though, that Igbenosan is going to find his way into the starting lineup to, to really start taking snaps away from Hancock if Ohio State is going to run those two cornerback sets frequently, which Knowles was apt to do last year. Now, if they're going to add a third cornerback on the field, that's where Hancock, I see his role being this year. Um, I see him as somebody that will mix in whenever Burke and Igbenosa need to go off the field. But I do really see Burke holding down one side, Igbenosa holding down the other, as the Ohio State's defense really relies on those guys to lock up their wide, rec- their wide receivers excuse me, um, and be able to make plays. Ohio State's defense, its pass defense, was its weak point last year at multiple times, especially in the Michigan and the Georgia games in those second half lapses. I think those guys, given their energy level this spring, given their quotes that we heard them say about bringing BIA back to Ohio State, that those guys have what it takes to to do that. Yeah, Igbenos, another New Jersey guy as well. He seems to have a kind of an edge to him and a a real competitive nature as well that I think uh, fans are excited about. Uh, And number two, and I think you could – you know, maybe put the put this at number one, depending on you know if if this guy ends up winning a starting job for Ohio State. I've got Josh Simmons, uh, the San Diego State tackle, coming in for Ohio State. Uh, fans were were really clamoring to see Ohio State land a high profile tackle in in the transfer portal. It didn't happen until the post spring window, of course. Uh, but that just you know what we saw in the spring. I think Chase kind of just. Uh, emphasized the the necessity of, of bringing in a guy that can maybe come in and start right away at one of those tackle spots because uh, the, the offensive line was really the you know the weak point of the you know entire operation I would say in terms of what we saw in the spring it was a lot of the the defensive line was really dominating uh, obviously Ohio State is having to replace two NFL draft picks in Paris Johnson uh, at left tackle Dewan Jones at right tackle and uh, you know Josh Fryer is the the proven more proven commodity, the most proven commodity of the bunch, uh, even though he hasn't had a, a whole lot of starting experience. Uh, we think he'll be on the left side as Ohio State's starting left tackle. Although even, you know, he moved around a little bit during the spring from time to time. Uh, the, the, the question is, and, and where Simmons comes into play is on that right side, we think, because um, we, we saw that battle kind of play out between Tegra Shabola and Zen Mahalski. Uh, Shabola, you know, early on in the spring, Day was really kind of giving him this push like, you know, we, we, we have high hopes for, for Tegra and, you know, we think he has a, a whole lot of potential. The problem is it's only his second year in college football. Uh, he played guard last season and uh, he didn't play a whole lot in general last season. So asking a guy like that to come in in his second year, switch to right tackle, an extremely important position, obviously, on the offensive line. 
that's a lot to ask of a guy, you know, as, as, as talented as he may be. Uh, and we, we've seen guys step up to that challenge before. You think about Paris Johnson stepping into a, a starting role at guard, moving over from tackle in his second year. Uh, but, you know, doing that, you know, not everybody is a, a top 10 uh, NFL draft yeah. pick. So that's a, a tough ask. I think, you know, Simmons has more experience if he comes in, um, you know, more tackle experience as well. If he comes in right away and, and ends up being a starting tackle for Ohio State, I mean, considering how much work and development we think that 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 front five needs, I mean, he could end up being potentially the most important transfer portal addition for Ohio State in general. Absolutely. Um, Ohio State's offensive line, along with the quarterback position, was probably the areas that were questioned the most by Ohio State fans this offseason. Um, we still don't really know where the quarterback competition stands in regard to McCord or Brown. Um, but as far as the offensive line, you have guys that you know can play. And it's it, I guess it kind of goes back to the, um, the talking points we had earlier that you know, Ohio State's offensive line room is full of four stars, um, is full, full of guys that we know have talent just given off of how recruiting analysts viewed them in high school, uh, how Ohio State's coaches have talked about them uh, in the off seasons leading up now to 2023. Um, but it's just a matter of how well are these guys going to work together as a unit. Um, an underrated part, I think, of offensive line that people don't talk about enough is not only guys winning their one-on-ones, but how well do they work together as a team? Um, how well are these guys communicating different looks that defensive fronts are given them. How well do these guys communicate this offensive lineman moving from the first level to the second level to the third? How, how well are these guys working together on their double teams? It, it really is a matter of chemistry, I think, moving forward. And we're going to see how well Josh Simmons meshes with a player like Donovan Jackson, meshes with a player like Matthew Jones, two established players in this room. Um, You'll have some work to do to catch up to the pre-existing relationships that Josh Fryer and Zen Mahalski and Tegra Shabola have with them already. But I do see his experience. I see his talent um, when I watch his film. And, and I do think that he has an understanding of the game that will allow him to catch up to those players rather quickly. Um, so it'll be a matter of Josh Fry, or excuse me, Josh Fry, um, seeing okay what what can these guys do together as a unit and how can they work together to to really protect the quarterback to then get the run game going um that chemistry is going to be so so important so i think that whoever can do that whoever can establish themselves um to be the best teammate in that room is going to be able to um succeed and maybe find themselves as a starter um, once ohio state faces indiana Next on the list at number three here, I've got Syracuse transfer safety Jihad Carter, who, you know, I, I think he might have been the might have been the first transfer portal guy that Ohio State landed uh, this offseason, unless there was uh, somebody else I'm forgetting. But uh, Carter, you know, I, I think a lot of people were excited to see what he could do you know, in that nickel safety spot this spring. Obviously, Tanner McAllister played that role as a you know transfer from Oklahoma State this past year. Uh, coming in right away so that was kind of the the mold I think everyone was kind of going off of there bringing another transfer guy to play that spot uh, however you know he, he ended up having his spring uh, curtailed but by an injury that we were actually present at practice to see now it, it doesn't sound like it's going to end up you know costing him you know a, a whole lot of time or anything like that or, or, or 
be, end up being a, a long-term injury, uh, but it did, you know, kind of stunt his ability to really get in that mix and, and potentially take over as any kind of, you know, first team safety for Ohio State. Uh, we saw Cam Martinez really running in that nickel safety spot um, for most of the spring, if not all of the spring. Uh, so now Carter's going to have to come back and kind of, you know, if he wants to to earn a starting role, he's going to have to really show a lot coming off of that injury in the preseason and in summer and everything like that. Um, but I still think, you know, he's at, at minimum, I still think he's going to, you know, if healthy, be the, the second string nickel safety for Ohio State. And, you know, it, Cam Martinez is another guy that, that dealt with some injury issues last year. You're always one play away. This is a guy that could end up, you know, being a starting nickel safety for Ohio State uh, just just based on injury alone. So I think that puts him at number three for me at Chase in terms of potential impact. Yeah, Jim Knowles calls his defense safety-driven um, to have as many players as possible in that room to provide depth. Um, I think it's important if, if Knowles wants his defense to succeed. And I think Carter comes to Ohio State with lots of experience from Syracuse, uh, but also plenty of years to play in the future. Um, as you brought up earlier with the transfers, I say got a lot of guys that um, are younger but have experience and are going to be around, I guess, Ohio State would hope, for a long time. Um, so whether or not Carter plays this season, I do think it'll be important for him to get reps in this defense, to get reps next to um, his teammates that will be here in the future as well um, and keep developing into um, a well-rounded player. I know that he came in um, – with maybe some more experience and coverage than playing up in the box, um, covering some of those bigger opponents like tight ends, um, covering, I guess, running backs out of the backfield as well. Um, but Ohio State is going to need him to, to be consistent whenever he's called upon in whatever role he is called upon. Um, and I think so far what we've seen from him in the collegiate level that he can do that. Um, and I think that Perry Eliano has spoken highly of him since his arrival in the spring. Um, unfortunately he had that injury that we didn't really get to see what he looked like in a game setting in the shoe in front of thousands of fans. Um, but he was trending in the right direction earlier in the spring. Um, and so I, I, I agree with you. I don't know if he's right now, somebody that's, uh, in that starting lineup in those, those top three safeties, but I do think he's right there as a member of the two deep and could push for reps, um, depending on how this ball goes and maybe how Ohio state performs against, Indiana in that first game and then their non-conference opponents, excluding maybe Notre Dame as the depth chart probably gets a little bit tighter for that game. Chase, after those kind of three guys there, it gets kind of harder to evaluate the the impact of some of these transfer guys. But at number four, I actually have the long snapper transfer, uh, Arizona transfer long snapper, John Furlman, just because he's pretty much the the only one of these, these guys that's like guaranteed to actually step into a, a starting role right away, even if it is kind of a specialized special teams role. And so, you know, I also probably wouldn't wouldn't be, you know, having this high on a list like this if it wasn't for what we saw last season with some of the long snapper stuff because um, obviously longtime Ohio State veteran Bradley Robinson, Ohio State's long snapper last season, ended up getting injured. Um, Ohio State had to have, you know, a backup guy, Mason Arnold, come in and, and do long snapping uh, for the rest of the season. And we saw some some big plays on some, you know, fake punt attempts and things like that. Uh, we saw snafus on, on special teams <laughs> for Ohio State in some of the biggest moments of the year. And so that's why I'm putting Furlman on there as, as one of the more important guys because we saw how just how important a long snapper is for Ohio State last season. 
Did you just use the word snafu? So I did. Could, did could you we like that? call it a, a snafu? Is that fair? A snafu, certainly. The snafu, yes. <laughs> uh, honestly, <laughs> as far as a long snapper being number four on this list, I'm kind of surprised by it. I, I wasn't expecting that. Um, but you're right. I mean, long snapper is one of those positions where you really don't want to know the name of the guy. It, it's a position that has a ton of responsibility, but zero glory. Because the only reason why fans of a team know the long snapper's name is because they screwed up. Their job is to go on the field, to snap the ball perfectly to the punter, to snap the ball perfectly to the holder. And other than that, you don't really hear from them because they're not the ones getting the tackles on special teams for punts. Um, they're not the ones getting the credit when the kicker sends one up through the uprights on a point after attempt or a field goal. Um, but he's just as important as anybody else. He plays such an important role. Um, the long snapper does. And Roman will likely step into that role now um, at Ohio State and, and try to carry the torch that Bradley Robinson um, has so delicately left him with after many, many years at Ohio State. Um, yeah, I think that yeah, maybe we don't. <laughs> maybe in a more traditional setting, does the long snapper appear a little bit later on this list? Sure, but as you know, as you kind of talk about the rest of these guys on the list, do we even know if they're going to play that much? Um, Throwman will probably play the most out of any of them, guaranteed. Um, so I like the positioning, even though I may tweak it a little bit, put an asterisk next to it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but the the thing is, the next few guys here on this list, it's it's like. They could be impactful if, you know, somebody gets injured or something like that or something unforeseen happens, but uh, they might not play. They might not have much of an impact whatsoever, you know, and so the ordering here, you know, could could kind of be switched up. But I've got Victor Cutler at number five uh, just because the center situation is so weird for Ohio State this season. Obviously, Luke Whipler went into the NFL draft. Uh, that was a move that caught Ryan Day and the Buckeye coaching staff off guard. That's something that Day even said uh, during one of his press conference appearances. And so because of that, Ohio State now has Carson Hinsman just in his in his in just his second season, uh, you know, switching positions over from guard, uh, playing uh, center now. He said, you know, he never even snapped the ball before until, you know, he got to Ohio State and, and played around with it a little bit. Um, so this is a guy that doesn't have much experience at all. He's looked good at center um, from what we've seen this spring, uh, but there's still a lot of uncertainty there, right? And so uh, a guy like Victor Cutler, he was kind of the second string center this spring. Now the the, the other factor that, that may not make him uh, very impactful at all, uh, well, first and foremost, the fact that he had a very, very shaky spring um, from what we kind of saw, a lot of shaky snaps. I mean, this is a guy that was playing tackle at Louisiana Monroe, so... Uh, maybe not his most natural position either, um, but a guy that you know perhaps perhaps he he'll end up in some in some big spots for Ohio State. Should you know Hinsman end up you know not not looking quite as good during the season as he did in the spring? Uh, but Ohio State also has another option at center with Jacob James, uh, veteran in the program. He missed the spring with with some injury issues, but uh, if he comes back healthy this preseason, uh, maybe that renders Cutler completely kind of uh, not impactful at all, but um, we will see on that one. The next one I've got, Chase, is uh, Tywone Malone. I would think, honestly, 
Like you could probably flip 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 flop those two guys there on the list because I think Malone will play just because of how much Larry Johnson likes to rotate guys. Um, but you know, I, I still I just don't know how much he will end up playing because he'll have to come in and learn a lot about the Ohio State system and whatnot in such a short period um, of time. Uh, but you know, he, he could he could certainly end up playing a lot more than the likes of a Cutler who could end up being the third string center for Ohio State. And you know, obviously, un- unless injuries strike. On the offensive line, it's really a lot of times just one guy dominating all the rest. Right. Malone's definitely the most uh, interchangeable, I would say, on this list. Like, depending on how much he plays, he could be one, he could be two, he could be three. Um, but I think right now, given that we haven't seen him in the program, he's appropriately placed um, somewhere in the lower ranks just because we don't know. Um, again, how he will mesh with the, the defensive line room, what he really brings to the table in Jim Knowles' defense, because it is a little bit more niche than some of the other defenses around college football. Um, you know, we, we know that Larry Johnson likes to rotate his defensive linemen, um, but he has some work to do to catch up to some of the already established players in the program. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I would agree with you there that just depending on how much he plays could really – really impact the kind of impact that he has um, early in his Ohio State career. Another guy that could end up being number one on this list, Chase, but only in the case of a true emergency would be Oregon State transfer quarterback Tristan Gebbia, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who was the third string quarterback for Ohio State this spring behind Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. Uh, Now, you know, we obviously saw Devin Brown suffer a, a finger injury, uh, at the end of the spring that that took him out of the spring game and saw Gebbia kind of play the, the second string quarterback role. Um, and so, you know, if all goes well for Ohio State, Gebbia really shouldn't see the field at all. I mean, even beyond McCord and Brown, you still have Lincoln Keenholes coming in this summer. Um, but, you know, we have seen some situations unfold for Ohio State in the past, Chase, where, you know, maybe a third string quarterback does end up having to play a big role and perhaps even lead an Ohio State team to a national championship. Yeah, Ohio State fans always have that in their mind when it comes to quarterback competitions and quarterback depth charts now. Um, Will anything like that ever happen again? I'm inclined to say no. Um, But it is possible. It's football. (laughs) It's a collision sport. Injuries happen. Um, Yeah, Gebbia is a player that could be called upon to play um, rather quickly, depending on how injuries shape up, depending on how um, a variety of factors take place throughout the season. Uh, do you think Gebbia would be the guy that Ryan Day and Corey Dennis would go to rather than go to a Keenholz? You'd probably have to, right? I think so, probably. Yeah, I don't think that you could really probably, yeah, run I think a freshman as – a true freshman that is one who arrived in the summer and expect them to win you games consistently. Um, Gebbia has at least proven that at multiple programs um, that he can understand the system, that he can dissect defenses, at least what they're showing him on the field. Um, Maybe not at an elite level, but at a decent level, one that can with Ohio state's receivers and Ohio state's offense overall win games. Um, so I think that you're right in saying that Ohio State hopes he doesn't play. Gebbia has the understanding that he probably won't, knowing that he came to Ohio State to kind of get his network built uh, for a future career in coaching. That was the primary reason, at least. 
maybe get a national championship ring on the side if he's lucky. Um, but I think that there's kind of a mutual understanding between both parties, between Ohio State and Gabia, that if all goes well, you're not seeing the field. Um, but if we need you to, we need you to be ready. Um, my other question with that, maybe let me ask this too. Does Ohio State, say Ohio State's playing, you know, Western Kentucky this year and they're up 99 to zero. Do you have McCord play and then Brown play or flip that if you will, depending on who ends up as the starter for, but they split the reps for the entire game. Or do you have a guy like Gavia come in late in the game just to give him some reps? Does that make sense? Like, do we have a situation here where maybe Gavia comes in, higher States up by a thousand do you put Gebbia in for the sake of keeping him ready? Or do you, because you've had a quarterback competition all fall, do you let McCord run or Brown and then the opposite player then run the rest of the game? Yeah, I think I think the latter scenario there that you laid out, I just think that, uh, yeah, I think you got to give one of the, the – whichever guy ends up losing out on that quarterback competition, assuming whoever wins it ends up actually holding it throughout the season. Obviously, that, that right. might not be the case, you know, but – um, assuming that the the guy who ends up winning it kind of controls that that battle going forward, I think you still got to reward the fact that you know the other guy, you know potentially the Devin Brown. I mean that's that seems to be the situation that that we project at the moment. You know that the Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. Not set in stone by any means, but you know just how things played out in the spring. Uh, you you have to reward Devin Brown for actually sticking around. You know after the spring, not transferring out of the program. So I think. In those situations, you're probably uh, going to give Devin Brown some some of those reps there to let him show his his talent for sure. Yeah, you could maybe um, go with Keen Holes, I guess, because he's going to be here in the future, right? With Gebbia, this is his last year of eligibility. Yeah. Um, the expectations are clear. While, as Ohio State fans know this the best, while you want to have three quarterbacks ready, the likelihood that you're going to need that third-string quarterback to win you a Big Ten championship and two college football playoff games is extremely low. So you want to, I guess, make sure that you're going to have your first guy, your second guy ready. Um, and then maybe if we're talking about complete garbage time, like no, the, the opponent is so inferior, you're up by a 1,000 points, it's late in the fourth quarter, then maybe you consider bringing in keen holes for handoff duty. You give him maybe one or two passes, show off the arm, reward the fans that are still in the stadium watching that crapshoot of a football game at that point. Um, but I feel like for the most part, Gebbia, even in those circumstances, isn't really going to see the field. Um, it, is, it feels like to me that yeah. it's going to be an emergency-only situation for him. Um, but he is a great guy to have in the yes. race at the same time. He's probably given Kyle McCord and Devin Brown more than we can even expect or imagine just based off of them picking his brain, him telling them how things work in other systems and different leagues. Like he played in at Nebraska. He played at Oregon state. He's seen football at a lot of different aspects. So he's been valuable, but I don't know in terms of his impact, how much we'll really see from him in 2023. Yes, I agree, Chase. But uh, the, the last guy I have on this list, just because I just don't know exactly where he kind of factors into things given you know multiple you know points about his, his circumstances Lorenzo Styles at cornerback just because you know he 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 has he did not play in the spring for Ohio State he's going to be coming in the summer uh, converting positions from wide receiver to cornerback 
a shortened offseason for him. And obviously Ohio State already has a lot of talent at cornerback this season. I mean, this is certainly a guy that would figure to play a bigger role in in future seasons, perhaps not this season, because you already have Burke, Hancock, Igbenosin, Jair Brown looked looked good at times this spring as well. You've got uh, very very highly touted freshman cornerbacks coming in this year as well in Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt. Um, so I just don't know where exactly he fits in this year. I think maybe down the line, this is a guy that you know he was a four star prospect. He was a top five player in Ohio out of high school. So. He's a guy that you know. I don't doubt his 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 talent and ability to make an impact in the future for a second. But I think this year um, he's probably hard pressed to make all that much of an impact. Now it's it, you know again it's weird because some of these guys higher on the list may not end up playing you know mm-hmm. at all this season. But you know it's it's hard to kind of figure because if, if 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 three quarterbacks get hurt or two quarterbacks get hurt, Gebbia could be the most impactful guy. So um, a hard list to make, Chase. But that's kind of how I see things there. Yeah, Styles. You know, Ohio State recruited him initially as a cornerback. Uh, he went to Notre Dame because he wanted to play wide receiver, and now it comes full circle that he comes to Ohio State to play cornerback. Um, so maybe it's one of those instances where Ohio State maybe you know knows where a position, uh, what position fits a player, and where they should play at the next level. Um, so it's funny that that's how it ends up working out. But as you said. Ohio State's cornerback room, really with the addition of Igbenosin and the development of um, guys like Jordan Hancock, and um, we just talk about the depth of that position now as maybe one of the team's strengths. Like, where does Styles fit in in terms of his name on the depth chart? Um, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see how that works out this fall in practice, um, and maybe we can get a good idea of, of his standing in that room and maybe ways that Tim Walton wants to work him, him into the defensive scheme. Um, but I, I guess I maybe see him right now, just given that we haven't, we haven't seen a lot from him at Ohio state. And we also haven't seen a lot from him at the cornerback position because he played the last two years at wide receiver at Notre Dame. This kind of being a feel out year where he transitions fully into the position, gets to know Ohio state scheme, Probably see him on special teams, given his athleticism, a guy that can uh, get down the field and make tackles on kickoff and in punts. But beyond that, I don't know exactly where he fits right now. So, um, again, as you said, like he could maybe go up if he gets on the field. But as for now, just too many non-determinable factors to, to really gauge uh, where to appropriately place him. Chase, as we wind down the show here, we'll kind of quickly run through some some miscellaneous uh, headlines and, and other you know, news points and things like that that have popped up over the last week or so. I wanted to give a, a huge shout out to Ohio State's Avery Henry, whose cancer is in remission. Uh, he received an osteosarcoma diagnosis um, in December. And uh, he, he said, announced the other day that he's officially done with treatments after four more visits to the hospital. Uh, that is fantastic news. Um, I know, you know, we, we said on here um, back back when we heard about that diagnosis, you know, how much we were feeling for Henry and in his family and everything like that um, would be, you know, just a fantastic story if, if everything's all good with him and, and maybe one day he does end up seeing the field uh, for Ohio State. That would be, you know, just sensational. Um, beyond that, though, Chase, Ohio State also announced some, some schedule updates last week. Uh, nothing too crazy or game-changing, though. Ohio State moved around its matchup with Western Michigan um, from from 
September 21st to September 7th. Ohio State will now face Marshall on September 21st in 2024. And Ohio State also scheduled matchups all the way out to 2029 with Nevada and Charlotte. Um, don't know if, how, how earth-shattering <laughs> any of that is, Chase, but uh, <laughs> decided to mention it nonetheless. On the basketball side of things, we have the NBA Combine going on right now in Chicago. Bryce Sensabaugh was one of the players to receive an invite. Um, we will keep on, an eye on you know his measurements and performance and everything like that. Uh, in ter- I did a, a little pre-Combine kind of mock draft roundup. Uh, most analysts still kind of had Sensabaugh going in the first round, but maybe not a lot of not a, not a lottery pick. Maybe going in the twenties, twenty range somewhere there. Uh, and, and I'll certainly keep an eye on how his stock might change after the combine, uh, depending on on what goes down there with him. Um, uh, maybe most interesting at all on the basketball front, though, was on Monday night. Um, Chase certainly something I was not <laughs> expecting. Nobody Seth was Towns expecting this. Entered the transfer portal. Yeah, this this came out of came out of nowhere for sure. Um, at like what nine nine p.m. on Monday, we hear that Seth Towns has entered the transfer portal. Uh, he didn't play at all in the 2021-22 season because of a back injury. He did then, you know, before this past season, he decided to step away from the program, citing kind of more injury issues and in conversations with, you know, he said setbacks uh, and in conversations with the coaching staff and medical personnel. Um, so that at that point, I wasn't really, he didn't necessarily like say he was officially done with basketball or medically retiring or anything like that. Uh, but it certainly seemed for me to put his basketball future in peril. I, I, I assumed, I guess, that he would probably be calling it quits at that point, especially given the two seasons before he transferred to Ohio State, he also missed at Harvard due to knee injuries. So he's only actually played, Jace, in 25 games in the last four seasons. Uh, and, but, but it looks like he's not done yet, and he wants to close out his college basketball career um, at a third destination after starting at Harvard, then transferring to his uh, native Ohio State, uh, you know he's from Columbus, Northland product. So uh, now I guess he'll be looking to go elsewhere. I'm, I'm very curious to see where he ends up going next. Yeah, that was one of the most surprising announcements of the off season. Is how I'll call that right now. I know it's early, but I could not believe it. To peel back the curtain a little bit for the work that's done here at 11 Warriors. Um, We have a couple of channels in our Slack where news goes. And then we have something, a general channel that we call it, where I guess just more random stuff goes. That news was so random that it didn't even show up in our news channel. It showed up on the general one where we just send all the random stuff. Um, That's how unbelievable it was that Seth Pounds, a guy who will be 26 this fall, appeared in in the transfer portal and uh, he's a great guy i've talked to him a few times so i wish him the best wherever he lands but i will admit that there were some great tweets that i saw last night regarding this decision um (laughs) including one that said seth downs needs to enter the linkedin portal i thought that was hilarious um and lots of people saying that maybe it's just time your body's been telling you for a few years that basketball may not be um, in your cards anymore, but we're humans. We, we fight, we fight and we fight. Seth Towns has been a basketball player his entire life. So in a way, the sport's been his identity. So, um, wherever he ends up, I'm not sure where that will be. He does have the potential to be a contributor. We've seen for 
so many years now, seven, eight years, I don't know, back to 2016, that Seth Downs can play ball and that he knows it and that he can make his teammates better. So wherever he ends up, whether that's in a Power 5 school or a Group of 5 school or a Division 2 or Division 3 school, um, hopefully Seth Towns gets his chance to hoop. Yeah, I know uh, Seth Towns is like is in my grade. Like we tried out for the same <laughs> basketball team like back way back in the day. Uh, and so like his first year of, of college was 2016-17, as was mine. And so I've been out of school for three years now. Uh, I only went to school for for four years, so this I think this would this next year would be his his eighth year, right? Like technically speaking. Yeah. So, that so is, tell me, are you that's pretty are wild, you entering but, uh, the transfer portal, or do you want to? You want to put your name in there and oh, play yeah. a couple more I'll, years? I'll, I'll, you, I still got some COVID eligibility. Right. I think I could use to to get on the hardwood. That's right, COVID eligibility, but, um, medical Chase, hardship. Exactly. I've got, I've got some cards I could play. I've got some waivers <laughs> I could file in terms of that. But uh, Chase, let, let's wrap up here quickly with, um, I know you always keep your eyes on all the Olympic sports at Ohio State. You do a weekly piece called Around the Oval, where you kind of keep everybody informed on the latest happenings with all the kind of non-revenue programs and things like that. If there's any you know, big things you want to hit in terms of, you know, I've been, I've been out of the pocket the last week, so I can't <laughs> say I've been paying too close attention while I was on vacation to, you know, what's been going on um, outside of, you know, kind of Ohio State football and basketball. But if there's any big points, Chase, you want everybody to know about with some of the other teams, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, among all the sports, Ohio State certainly has plenty of them. Uh, Men's tennis is definitely the talk of the Olympic ones right now. Um, Ty Tucker's program has been dominant for two decades since he took over as head coach in 2000. Um, This could be the year that maybe they reach the mountaintop. It's it's eluded Tucker and his teams for so long. Um, they've dominated the Big Ten, but once they get to the national stage, uh, it's it's a lot more difficult to beat Southern teams on outdoor courts. Um, and that's exactly what Ohio State will need to do this weekend um, in the NCAA tournament. They hosted the first three rounds in Columbus at the Ty Tucker Tennis Center or the Our Tennis, Tennis Complex. Um, I know they had to play that first one indoors and then they played the last two outdoors, but they beat Eastern Tennessee state. They beat Louisville and they beat Arizona in the first three rounds. And now they're going to head down to Orlando to play Georgia. Ohio state's the number three overall seed in the tournament this year. Georgia is the number eight overall seed. Um, but important to note that while Ohio state does do its best to schedule a lot of those Southern teams during the regular season, that's all Georgia's plan. That's all a lot of the teams that are ranked around Ohio State in this tournament play on a weekly basis. So this is going to be a challenge for them. In the Elite Eight, if they move past Georgia, they'll go to the Final Four. Um, That's where they made it last year before eventually falling to, I believe, Kentucky, um, who then was defeated pretty handily by Virginia. Um, So Ohio State has three games to win, and if they can do it, they'll win their first championship under Ty Tucker. So... That's definitely the team to watch this weekend. Um, Baseball also plays against Michigan. Three-game series in Columbus at Bill Davis Stadium. Ohio State's 28-25, and three games above 500. Um, Don't believe they've won a series against the Wolverines in a while, Griffin. So if they can do that and Bill Mazziello's first season as as head coach, that maybe speaks volumes to the kind of program that he's building here, even if it doesn't end with an appearance in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes locked on all of that stuff for you. Uh, certainly more around the Oval 
additions from Chase coming up. And just want to give a huge shout out to Chase for joining me on the podcast today while Dan is on vacation. Uh, thank you so much, Chase. Everybody listening, Dan will be back next week in case you're you're missing him a lot uh, this <laughs> week. Uh, hopefully not too much, though. And uh, yeah, guys, uh, thanks for listening in. And we will uh, join you again next week on Real Pod Wednesdays.